Episode 17, Vietnam Nam Paleo. Wait, what does that mean? It's a pun, Ollie. Like, you know, Vietnam. So it's like smashing together Vietnam and Nam Nam Paleo? Yeah. It's also called a portmanteau, guys. A portmanteau is when you blend together two words with different meanings into a single word with a combined meaning. Like how shark plus tornado equals sharknado. <laughs> or how hungry plus angry equals hangry. Okay, I get it. It's like poo plus pee equals poopy. (laughs) No, it's not like that at all. Poo and pee don't actually combine to form poopy. It actually combines to form like... Okay, stop. (laughs) We're getting way off track. Today's episode is actually all about a whirlwind trip that Henry and I took to Vietnam recently. Together with a small group of awesome chefs and food writers, we traveled to Saigon and Phu Quoc Island to learn firsthand about Vietnamese cuisine and to visit the home of Red Boat Fish Sauce, where we got an up-close look at how fish sauce is made. In this episode, we'll also talk about our year-end crushes, tips for pantry prep in the new year, and we'll also fill you in on the latest update to our Webby Award-winning app. So if you're sick of the cold and ready to be transported to Vietnam for a spell, Stick with us for a very special Vietnam-tastic episode. Welcome to our program. This is the Nom Nom Paleo Show with Michelle Tam and Henry Fong and the Double O's. Join us as we go behind the scenes and reveal how we make a real food lifestyle fun, sustainable, and nomtastic. We're the food nerds behind Nom Nom Paleo, the award-winning food blog, app, and cookbook. And we're also the parents of two growing boys, Big O. Hello. And Lil Lo. Hello. Hi. Hi. Whatever. And they're the reason we do what we do. What we ate. Okay, gang. Any good eats to discuss? Well, I've guessed about it before, but my Instant Pot is a total lifesaver this winter. The Instant Pot is a 7-in-1 countertop appliance that you can use to saute, to slow cook, to make rice, and a whole bunch of other things. But I'm talking specifically about the pressure cooker function. When it's dark and cold outside, I feel like making and eating hearty stews and soups, but I don't always have the time or energy to plan ahead and prepare everything hours and hours in advance. But with a pressure cooker, I'm able to just toss ingredients into my trusty Instant Pot, and in just minutes, dinner is ready. I can totally attest to this. There have been nights when I get home from the office, and I see that you're still finishing up work and haven't had a chance to start cooking. And you'll try to convince us that we should just go out to eat. Because, you know, I figure it'll be easy and there's no cleanup. But it's actually not that easy to get all the kids bundled up and out the door, and then we have to find a place to eat that the boys will agree on. And it has to be gluten-free for me. Yes, and me too. So I'd prefer to just throw something into the Instant Pot if I can. And I've found that I almost always have ingredients I can use to pull together a satisfying and tasty meal. So what are some examples of ingredients that you use? I always keep frozen sofrito and bone broth on hand. So those ingredients are the basis for a lot of meals. You can find my bone broth recipe on my blog, in my cookbook, and in our app. And I've demonstrated how to make it on Periscope too. I've also shot a Periscope video of how to make both sofrito with two F's and two T's, which is the Italian version of mirepoix. It's basically a slowly cooked mix of carrots, celery, and onions in olive oil. And you freeze the sofrito and bone broth in silicone baking molds, right? Yep. 
That way they're frozen in small portion sizes and you can pop them out really easily. There are even large silicone ice cube trays with covers now, so nothing will spill out when you pop these trays in the freezer. And so when you need to make a quick meal, whether it's in the Instant Pot or not, you just use these little frozen pucks of pre-made, pre-cooked ingredients. Totally. I've been able to combine these two basic building blocks with proteins and assorted vegetables to make soups and stews of all kinds. There's really no set recipe for these meals. I just make them on the fly. But usually, I make hearty soups or stews. And if I make a soup, I'll first season some sort of protein like ground beef with magic mushroom powder or fish sauce. And for those of you who aren't aware, magic mushroom powder is an umami-rich seasoning salt. And you can find the recipe for magic mushroom powder on nomnompaleo.com. Yeah, I use it on everything. Once the meat's no longer pink, I throw in broth cubes, a sofrito cube, and a ton of vegetables. Then I set the pressure cooker to cook under high pressure. But because everything is already cooked except for the raw veggies, I just need to choose the time of the longest cooking vegetable, like sliced carrots, which take about seven minutes to cook under high pressure. I do need to remind folks that even though it sounds super fast, the pressure cooker still takes time to reach high pressure, and that can tack on an extra five to ten extra minutes depending on the temperature of the ingredients in the pot. In any event, I don't mind the extra time because I don't actually need to do anything. I just throw everything in the pot, set it, and then go take a shower or whatever. If you want more information about these improvised Instant Pot meals, you can find photos and descriptions on the Nom Nom Paleo Instagram feed. And if you love the Instant Pot as much as I do, you can find a whole treasure trove of Instant Pot and pressure cooker recipes on my site. There's a section in my recipe index that's devoted to pressure cooker meals, and you can also do a search on my site for my top pressure cooker slash Instant Pot recipes. So, can I talk about what I ate? What did you eat, Owen? I ate oranges. Lots and lots and lots and lots of oranges. I counted like 25. You eat so many oranges, Owen. You leave orange peels all over the house. What a way to publicly shame me, Ollie. I keep finding orange peels in the weirdest places. I found orange peels on top of the dresser in the guest room. I found some in the garage. I even found some in the bathroom. It's like you're leaving a trail of orange peels wherever you go. You know, I ate a ton of oranges when I was pregnant with Owen 11 years ago. And there have been studies that show that what a woman eats during pregnancy actually shapes food preferences in that child. There was a journal article in Pediatrics from a few years ago that concluded that the amniotic fluid that surrounds a growing baby in utero is flavored by the foods that the mother eats. And the baby in turn swallows that fluid. Breast milk is also flavored by what the mom eats, and that's passed on to the baby too. And those types of flavor sensations form preferences really early on for the child and may result in a lifelong preference for certain foods and flavors. It's too late for me now because I'm not pumping out any more kids, but if I had to do it all over again, I'd be much more conscious of what I was eating during pregnancy. This might explain why Ollie likes soybeans so much. Every time we go to a Japanese place, he wants edamame. Yeah. I was pregnant with Ollie before I knew anything about paleo, and I was a soy-snarfing quasi-vegetarian. I wish if I could eat edamame everywhere. Just like how Owen eats oranges and leaves orange peels all over the house. Sorry, kiddo. Not gonna happen. Soy isn't the best thing for growing boys, and I'm not picking up little edamame shells off the floor. I wouldn't leave them everywhere. I'm not Owen. Guess what? Owen said he peels them over the garbage can. Ollie, everyone can hear you. But he actually just leaves them around. <laughs> Whatever, Ollie. You don't pick up your Legos, your Pokemon cards, or your jaded clothes. That's what parents are for. They're slaves. 
Uh, no, that is not what parents are for. The main course. Months ago, I got an email from Kung Pham, the founder and owner of Red Boat Fish Sauce, inviting me to go to Vietnam. Wait a sec. You should stop and back up and explain how you got connected up with Red Boat Fish Sauce in the first place. Right. Let's take a trip back in time. Do 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 do. That's my time machine. When I- I'll insert some way back time machine noises here. When I first launched Nom Nom Paleo back in 2010, I was already on the lookout for a paleo-friendly fish sauce, also called Nook Mom. As longtime readers know, my recipes are often Asian-inspired, and fish sauce is a critical ingredient in tons of dishes from Vietnam, Thailand, basically all of Southeast Asia. It's not about adding fishiness. It adds umami, a depth of flavor that enhances a whole variety of dishes. And I'm not just talking about Asian dishes either. The umami that comes from fish sauce can punch up Italian dishes, African dishes, even burgers. I remember this. You'd go into Asian grocery stores to look for fish sauces with clean ingredients, just fish and salt, and you'd always come away disappointed that every single brand on the shelves included sugar, preservatives, and other chemicals. And many of them were stretched or thinned out with water or other liquids, too. They were all cheap and cheaply made. But then, in February of 2011... My sister, who's also a chef, sent me an article from the LA Times about Red Boat fish sauce. It was a super short article. It basically said, hey, there's a brand new artisanal fish sauce on the market. Red Boat offered a first press extra virgin fish sauce made on the Vietnamese island of Phu Quoc. And it had just those two ingredients that we were looking for, black anchovies from Phu Quoc Island and salt. Kung was interviewed for the article and talked about how Red Boat is made from a 200-year-old process that involves salting the anchovies just minutes after leaving the ocean. Then they're barrel-aged for about a year. The article said that Red Boat had an intensity of flavor that's missing from other brands. And so, of course, you had to try it. I did. And it was amazing. Rich, intense, and umami-packed. Not only did I love it, I felt compelled to spread the word. I wanted to tell everyone about it. But it was only available in a few Asian markets at the time, and it wasn't easy to figure out where people could buy it. So I reached out to Kung directly to find out where he was selling Red Boat. And it turns out that Kung and his family are actually local to us. Well, half the year anyway. They live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Kung had actually just started Red Boat, and he was starting to promote it. I knew this was going to be something special and that the paleo community would love it because Red Boat was making the first commercially available fish sauce made from whole real food ingredients in a traditional manner. You started talking it up in a big way. I remember you were just starting out with the blog, but you were writing to all these established influencers in the paleo community and connecting them with Red Boat because you really wanted them to try this fish sauce. Yeah, I think it was... Actually, my first ever interactions with a lot of people in the paleo community. But I wasn't paid or sponsored by Red Boat, and they never asked me to do any of this. I just wanted to spread the word about this awesome fish sauce. And over the years, you've put Red Boat fish sauce in a ton of your recipes. You're a total Red Boat evangelist. Yeah, I've actually gotten complaints from readers about how often I use it. I know I sound like a commercial, but it really is a super powerful flavor booster that makes so many dishes taste exponentially better. You do sound like a commercial, Mom. 
Actually, it would be a better commercial if you sang a jingle, too. Or had a slogan. Like Red Boat Fish Sauce. It's awesome sauce. I know, I know. Red Boat Fish Sauce. Smells bad, but tastes great. Yeah, the smell is something that puts a lot of people off. But the thing is, you're not meant to use tons and tons of fish sauce in your dishes. Yeah, you just use a tiny bit. It's a super intense flavoring agent, so a little bit goes a long way. Anyway, over the years, Kung and I have kept in touch, and we've done some cross-promotion together, like occasional sweepstakes for free fish sauce for my readers. We also get to try Red Boat's new products before they get launched, like Red Boat Fish Salt. And when our cookbook was released, Red Boat offered up hundreds of little bottles of Red Boat for us to gift to everyone who attended our book launch party. Over the past few years, Red Boat has also gotten super tied into the high-end food world, partnering with incredible chefs and other influential food professionals. And this year, Red Boat decided to bring together a handful of chefs and food writers to visit their facilities on Fuquok Island. And to eat our way through Saigon as well. The group consisted of food writers and chefs. The food writers included us, Kyle Hildebrandt of the excellent website Our Daily Brine, and his super cool wife Lisa, and Andrea Nguyen, my idol when it comes to all things related to Vietnamese food. Andrea was traveling with Karen Shinto, one of the best food stylists in the business. The chefs on our trip were Chris Cosentino of San Francisco's Coxcomb and Bocalone, Jen Lewis of Portland's Lincoln Restaurant, and Sang Yoon of Father's Office and Luk Shan in Los Angeles. But kids were not invited. Yeah, we had to stay with Grandma and Grandpa and go to school. Being a kid is hard and thankless. So a couple of months ago, Henry and I got on a plane to Saigon, or what's now known as Ho Chi Minh City. We met up with chefs Chris Cosentino and Jen Lewis as we transferred planes in Taiwan. And also we realized that Andrea and Karen had been seated right behind us on our flight from San Francisco. It was a long flight to Saigon, but upon our arrival, we were immediately escorted by Kung and his family through the immigration line and into vans that sped off to our hotel in the heart of the city. The air was hot and sticky, and the streets were chaotic with scooters weaving in and out of traffic. But I was really excited to be there. I've been a huge fan of Vietnamese food since I was little, and it's probably my favorite ethnic cuisine. Needless to say, I'd been dying to visit Vietnam forever. And this time, we had the added benefit of being brought to restaurants that we would have never found on our own. Like when we were in Saigon, Kung took us to some really amazing places that focused singularly on one type of food. The first restaurant we visited specialized in Vietnamese crepes, or ban seo. If you've had ban seo before, you know it's a crispy Vietnamese crepe made from rice flour, coconut milk, and turmeric, which gives them that brilliant yellow color. You tear off a chunk of crepe, wrap it in lettuce leaves, add a handful of fresh herbs, and dip it in nook chom, a sweet and savory dipping sauce. All too often in the States, we've had bonsai that aren't even crispy. They're soggy, overly chewy, and lacking flavor. A lot of times, the batter is just too thick. But the place we went in Saigon served crepes that were perfect. They were thin and crisp, not oily at all, with a fragrant mix of local green herbs that we could add to each bite. I have to say, I wasn't a huge fan of fish mint, though. In Vietnam, we encountered a particular herb called fish mint, which looks like just any old innocuous leafy herb, but it has this odor that's distinctly fishy. You take a sniff, and it's like you're putting your nose in a rotten fish. Let's just say I preferred the other herbs. I think it's an acquired taste, but yeah, it wasn't my favorite either. 
We visited a bunch of other places too, from a restaurant that specialized in serving snails to a place that made bun bo hui, a spicy beef noodle soup. I actually did a live periscope from the kitchen of the restaurant. The chef had spent all night preparing his special broth, and it was mind-blowing. We ate around a big table, and Sang Yoon spent the entire meal trying to figure out how to replicate the flavors for a dish at his restaurant in L.A. You know, the snail place was actually one of my favorites. It was surprisingly good, and I say surprising because I guess I really didn't expect much going in, but the flavors of each dish were super distinct and really delicious. It was this razor clam and snail dish that I especially enjoyed, and it was also a coconut curry dish with striped snails that was really satisfying. You ate snails? Yeah, we ate snails. Wait, was there salt on the snails? Doesn't salt make snails bubble and dissolve? Ew, that's gross and sad. I have to confess that I have no idea how exactly they prepared the snails, but I'm sure the chefs didn't torture the snails before they cooked them. I guess the snail place stood out on the itinerary because it's so different. But I think I was most surprised when we visited a small batch bean-to-bar chocolate maker outside of Saigon run by two French guys. We took a long drive out to Maru Chocolate Factory, where we met with the owners who showed us every step of the chocolate making process. Maru is a bean-to-bar operation using cacao that's grown and harvested right in Vietnam. These guys source cacao beans from local farmers that are then fermented and dried, and then roast them, winnow them, and grind them to make chocolate. More importantly, we got to sample their finished chocolate bars. Chris Cosentino ended up buying a lot of powdered chocolate from Maru to make desserts at his restaurant, but I just wanted to get bars to nibble on by myself. And Maru's Heart of Darkness bar is insane. It's dark, smooth, rich, complex, everything I love in chocolate. I'm not even a huge chocolate fan, and I thought it was amazing. You're not into chocolate, but you got a big kick out of coffee in Vietnam, though. Yeah, Vietnamese coffee is super strong, and it gave me a much-needed kick in the pants when I was suffering from jet lag. I'm really impressed by the coffee culture in this part of the world. When we were in Thailand a couple of years back in Chiang Mai, we had incredible coffee at Restrato, and we're aware of the strong coffee culture in Australia too, but Vietnam is all about coffee. In fact, it's the second largest coffee producer in the world. We saw coffee places everywhere, and just like in Brooklyn or Berkeley or Seattle, there's some serious coffee joints in Saigon. Traditionally, Vietnamese coffee is brewed in individual cups using a stainless steel filter chamber with a lid that sits on top of the cup. It's served that way, so you have to wait for the coffee to drip down into the cup before you drink it. It kind of drives me crazy because I just want to drink the whole thing up. This classic slow drip method is well worth the wait, though. It brews some strong coffee, and it's a nice contrast to the fast pace of everything else in Saigon. Vietnamese coffee is strong and bitter, so it's typically served with sweetened condensed milk, which is super sweet and sugary. I actually like it served black with no condensed milk, but I have to admit that it's pretty great with the sweet milk too. We didn't just have traditional Vietnamese coffee either. We heard about a place called The Workshop, and it was tucked away on the top floor of a brick building downtown that looked empty. But when we got to the top of the winding wrought iron staircase and popped in, It was gleaming and modern and airy and gorgeous. And the menu offered dozens of different ways to prepare coffee, from Chemex and pour-over to Aeropress and Japanese ice drip. We couldn't stay long, though, because our itinerary was packed with visits to restaurants and markets that Kung and Redboat had arranged. Tomorrow we gather at 7.30 at the lobby. We take you to breakfast. Okay. The local noodles. Bánh canh. It's gluten-free. Oh. Yeah. Okay, you know that place. Yeah. Bánh canh phong. Bánh canh phong. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And then we go 
the, the wet market, mm-hmm. all the seafood, all the produce. Oh, and these guys can buy whatever they want, yeah. and then we go back at noon, mm. we cook that. Every place that Kung took us to was eye-opening in some way, whether it was the flavor combinations, the cooking techniques, or just the local ingredients that were featured. It wasn't just restaurants either. We also got a chance to visit Binte, a gigantic wholesale market where we wandered around in a maze of vendors, butchers, and wet and dry goods sellers. Okay. We're gonna disperse this group in, in this thing? Yeah. This thing, it's go all the way in the back. That's where all the food you can eat, you know, raw meats, everything. I'm gonna market, but more of the stuff here they do with wholesale, so you had to buy it both. So they take me back here at 11. We're meeting back here at 11? Right at this corner? So that's where I Okay, let's just wander. It's kind of overwhelming, even more so than the similar markets we visited in Chiang Mai. And everywhere we visited, whether it was a market or a restaurant, sparked a ton of inspiration for new dishes. After seeing and tasting such incredible ingredients, I made a lot of mental notes about what I wanted to paleoize at home. But that was nothing compared with the chefs. Every few minutes, it seemed like Chris and Sang were comparing notes on the concoctions they were excited to make. If we get some good seafood, if we get some good seafood, and uh, there's good herbs like raw ram, I'll make I'll make the raw ram. Uh, oh, that sounds great. If, if they, they may not have candle nuts here. Yeah, they do. Yeah. That's said that they have really killer hearts of palm. That'd be kind of oh. fun. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, do they have uh, nickel nitrogen in circulator? One night, we went to an up-and-coming restaurant called Kao Ba Kwan, where Kung had arranged for a meal by the chef owner Nikki Tran. Nikki had spent time in the U.S. several years ago, before she landed on a culinary career. Back in Saigon, she decided literally on a whim to start a restaurant with her brother, even though she herself had no culinary background. In the run-up to the restaurant's launch, one of her friends, who's a celebrity in Vietnam, helped promote the restaurant, so it wasn't a surprise that a lot of people showed up on opening night. But on opening night, her brother, who was supposed to be the cook, didn't show up. So Nikki was left to figure out on her own how to feed the huge crowds of people who came to her restaurant. And against all odds, Nikki turned out to be amazing at what she does. She's been featured in international food press, including Lucky Peach, and big-time chefs from all over the world are making special trips to eat Nikki's food. Nikki's great. She's super humble and kind of freaked out about all this attention she's getting. Her food was really good. One of her specialties is five-colored salad with grilled beef, pineapple, Thai eggplant, lemongrass, mint, and kumquat. She ended up traveling with us to Fukuok Island, too. Wait, so you ate at a restaurant and the chef got to travel with you, but your own kids didn't? Well, when you guys can cook as well as Chef Nikki can, we'll be more than happy to bring you along with us everywhere we go. So after a few days in Saigon, our group all headed off to the airport to take a short flight over to Fukuok Island, the home of Red Boat Fish Sauce. Our group continued to grow as the trip progressed. In addition to the American chefs and writers, we now had a couple of Vietnamese chefs from Saigon on the trip, as well as some potential investors and Red Boat's outside lawyer. The outside lawyer, Alex, was one of my favorite people on the trip. Such a nice guy. Ollie, Alex is the dad of the little boy your pen pals with now. Pen paling is hard work. Fukuok is a really interesting place. The island is in the Gulf of Thailand off the west coast of Vietnam, up near the Cambodian border. The history of the island is fascinating, too. During the Vietnam War, the island was South Vietnam's largest prison camp, and over the years it's been contested territory between Cambodia and Vietnam. 
Kung told us that until relatively recently, the island didn't even have much in the way of basic utilities like electricity. The economy is based primarily on fishing. Traditionally, Fuquak Island is known for two products, fish sauce and peppercorns. The waters around Fuquak are rich with black anchovies, while the center of the island is where pepper is cultivated. The island looks like it's in transition right now. It's still poor and rural for the most part, but more and more the tourism industry is powering the economy. There are beautiful sandy beaches ringing the island, and large resorts are being built to accommodate visitors looking to vacation at pristine beaches. And when we landed at the airport, we were shocked that this was a tiny island known for anchovy fishing because the airport itself is brand new, super modern, and constructed of glass and steel. It looks like it belongs in Silicon Valley. As for the food scene on Fuquak, it's definitely more limited than Saigon in terms of options. But when we hit the outdoor wet market, we saw an incredible selection of ingredients. I was also completely overwhelmed. The wet market consists of stalls along an L-shaped intersection of two very busy, very narrow streets that dead ends at a dock, and weaving among the crush of pedestrians, shoppers, and vendors are dozens of people on motorcycles and scooters. So imagine a very crowded and busy farmer's market, only it's packed into two very narrow streets with produce and meat displayed everywhere. Now imagine if you let motorcycles zoom through all of this, swerving and honking between everybody and everything. And imagine this in a place where the temperatures are soaring and the humidity is making you sweat through all your clothes. It really made me appreciate how lucky and frankly how spoiled I am and how I should never complain about how difficult it is to pick something up at the market. The local ingredients really were out of this world, though. There were butchers just hacking apart sides of meat on push carts, vendors with buckets of all kinds of seafood, produce I've never seen before, Combined with the sounds and smells and everything else, it was really sensory overload. But somehow the chefs who were traveling with us were able to focus like a laser on ingredients they wanted to buy to make dinner for our group. What did you say this was? Which one? The, this one? Is that dragon? Dragon beans. Dragon beans? Yeah. So you take and you snip off that, and you can take these beans that can be eaten raw in salads. Yeah. Or they can be sautéed fast heat. I have a feeling that these chefs were in friendly competition mode with each other. They were angling to get the most out there ingredients so they could impress each other and the rest of us with their cooking. Which, of course, was fine by us because A, we didn't have to cook, and B, we got to taste some crazy amazing stuff by world-class chefs. I mean, two of them were on Top Chef Masters. Chris won the whole thing and even co-stars in a comic book with Wolverine. And one of Sang's most famous creations is a burger that's known as the best in the United States. And yet, he happily sat in the airport eating a Whopper from Burger King. He was researching the competition. We did have some really awesome meals on the island, including a beach cookout. Of course, you do this all the time, though, right? No. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You come out and eat on the beach. And... You should ask my guys. It's like... Sometimes... I've been here like literally a month and I haven't gone to the beach. Sometimes things are go crazy back there. One night, there was even a Top Chef-like dinner prepared at the Red Boat facilities by the three chefs. Each of them prepared dishes in their own unique styles, but all of them showcased the ingredients they'd picked up at the wet market. Chris even broke down a whole pig right on the dock of the Red Boat facilities. Instead of a butcher's block, he just used a wooden pallet outside on the concrete pathway. 
There we go. Now that's a nice show. So we are on Fukuok Island. <sighs> Chef Chris Costantino is breaking down a whole pig. And if I don't hit my finger, we're all lucky. With a hatchet and a Chinese cleaver. <sighs> just right off the dock. Okay. So these are the shoulders, right? Woo. Okay, so we're going to use the shoulders, but we need to take off the trotters. That cook-off between the chefs was a really involved affair. I think they started prepping at 6 p.m. in a tiny home kitchen and at an outdoor barbecue. By the time we ate it, it was like, I don't know, 10 p.m. Al, can you, can you hook me up with, get that fire good and spread out? Plus, you had to help prep. This is going in the sauce. Watch, see? Boom, boom. Give me like four cloves. Four. One, two, three, four. So I'm going to use this cleaver as a balance board. See? Sweet. Here's your garlic. Okay, let's add it right in. Just throw it in. Right up, right up front here. Right up front. Right hey, at least I can now say that I've helped prep for Chris Cosentino and Sang Yoon. And you rolled rice balls for Jen Lewis. So now it's got garlic and ginger in it. Garlic, ginger, mint. Garlic, ginger, mint, cilantro, fish sauce. And pork. Awesome. We need chilies, which are inside. And I'm going to start adding the shiso now. But I wanted to break it all down. I might get some scallions in here, too. Chris was on fire, though. I think he made, I don't know, three or four dishes. So we've got this heat on now. See? We've got the pots on, because I'm going to do sausage and clams. But you see how it's become like pasty? Because naturally what happens is when you when you work it, you're bringing out transglutaminates. It was super crazy though. Chaotic may be the best way to describe it. I mean, there were three chefs going head to head, flexing their cooking muscles, but limited to one teeny tiny kitchen with minimal equipment and counter space and one outdoor barbecue and no staff except for a few of us who were hanging around. Oh, and it was pitch black outside. There wasn't really any outdoor lighting by where Chris was cooking. Just the light from the flames of the grill. The dishes they all made, though, were pretty incredible. Jen, is that the thing that you had earlier? Yeah. Chili. And basting that, went on the skin side for a while, flipped it over, um, and then just let it keep uh, caramelizing a little bit on each side, get crispy on the outside, uh, soft inside. Even crazier was the fact that this meal was cooked for just a few of us. By the time the food was done, Kung and a bunch of his crew had already left on an overnight fishing run, so there weren't that many of us who ate this huge feast. More for us. Dragon fruit? Yeah, dragon fruit. Pickle. Very quickly pickled papaya, very quickly pickled onion. Pick, pickled banana, and I did a uh, an herbal curry out of coconut. With the coconut milk? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, what am I serving this in this pot? The main reason why we were on Fukuok Island, though, was to check out how Red Boat fish sauce is made. And that was even more incredible to see up close than even the food. When we're cooking at home, and we just unscrew the yellow cap from our bottle of fish sauce, it's so easy to forget that this stuff actually comes from somewhere. And that somewhere is the waters off the western coast of Vietnam. Believe it or not, there's actually a fishing boat called the Red Boat. 
which was originally used by Kung's family to fish for black anchovies in the Gulf of Thailand. These days, their crew uses a bigger fishing boat to go out into the waters overnight to fish. Once the anchovies are hauled onto the boat, the crew immediately salts the fish to start the fermentation process right there on the boat, and they store the fish and salt below deck. The first day we were on the island, we took the little red boat out to meet the fishermen and to transfer the fish that they'd caught to our smaller boat to bring back to the red boat facilities. It was funny. We all crammed onto a fishing boat that was meant for no more than a handful of crew members. And at one point, Kung told us we had to hide so that the local Coast Guard didn't spot us. So we all crammed into the hold, which is no taller than four feet. So a bunch of us just squatted in there, uncomfortable until the coast was clear. At another point, the boat had to go under a bridge on the river. And because of the uneven weight distribution of the fishing boat, we all had to run to the very front of the boat in order to weigh it down enough to clear the bottom of the bridge. Everyone move to the front. Yeah, he's being serious. I think so. I think he is being serious. I think they're worried about clearance because the river's so high. It was pretty crazy, and we seriously were at risk of not clearing that bridge. The crew literally had to tear down part of the roof of the boat before we reached the bridge, And then after we passed it, they nailed it back up. You guys saved us. You saved the boat. Yeah. It was a gorgeous day out on the water, and we hopped from boat to boat to watch the transfer process. The guys on the boat literally just opened up the hold, and one guy would shovel the salted fish into containers that were then carried over to the red boat. Once we arrived back at the Red Boat facilities, the fish was unloaded and carried just a few yards to the front of the barrel house, where a conveyor belt was set up. The anchovies are sorted on the conveyor belt by workers who sit along both sides of the moving belt. They remove anything that doesn't belong, including any bycatch. While we were there, all of this was done under the watchful eye of a rabbi, because Red Boat was making its first batch of kosher fish sauce. For the koshering process, the rabbi had to be there to certify that no shellfish got into the fish sauce and to make sure that other steps were taken to keep the entire process kosher, including using specially scrubbed barrels for the fermentation process. So the process, besides, you know, coming up with a different workflow, is there anything else that needed to be done? Yeah, they kosher the barrels, Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which means, like, cleaning them out with hot, boiling water. Clean it. So once they're not there, they close the barrel. They seal it. Once the workers sorted the anchovies, they went straight into these humongous wooden barrels, along with more salt for the long process of fermentation. Though as Kung told us, the fermentation already started back on the boat. But the, the fish get salted on the boat and sitting there for about three, four days, depends on where they get caught. Okay. Right? As soon as the salt applied to the fish, the fermentation is started right. on that day. The minutes it's, it's salted. It's so important because without that, the fish can be rotten. The aging process takes almost a year, and we got an opportunity to walk among these gigantic barrels and climb up on top of them to get a peek at the sauce in different stages. We even got to taste some fish sauce straight from the barrel. Kung turned a spigot at the bottom of a barrel, and fish sauce streamed out into a bowl for us to taste. So this is raw. Oh, it's yummy. It's like straight from the tap. Straight up. It's just got such fresh, Yeah. 
You want to smell it? You don't smell anything fishy at all. Smells like mangoes yeah. almost. Oh, you're right. Here, smell it. It does so smell like mangoes. This is what you get like after 11 months. Nothing get added. Yeah, just let it sit and how it, things break down. Such a good color. Yeah. It really was good. It may have been my favorite among all the flavors we tasted. Talk a little about the sit-down tasting that you did. Well, we all gathered around a table that was set up just outside the barrel house one afternoon, and Kung brought out different bottles of fish sauce from specific barrels. This single-barrel tasting was a real treat because Red Boat fish sauce is usually a blend of the sauces from its different barrels. By tasting single-barrel sauces, we got to check out varieties with different concentrations of fish protein, and the flavor profiles differed from bottle to bottle. Did you have a favorite? Not really, because they were all good. The chefs definitely had strong opinions about their favorites, though they disagreed on which ones they liked best. Andrea and Kyle were pointing out how different sauces brought out unique notes and tones. But also at the same time, it has nuances that you can't get. Right, well, it's the base note, right? I like the base note that's like in your fish. Andrea, I like one, because my one has to me more caramel. But to be perfectly honest, I couldn't make out a lot of the subtleties. Maybe I'm just a Philistine. But hey, it's not like I'm going to ever just guzzle fish sauce straight out of the bottle anyway, despite what everyone thinks. Personally, I was too sweaty to even focus on the tasting. I think I was just running around taking photos and dripping sweat on everything and everyone. Still, the time at Red Boat was among my favorite memories from our trip to Vietnam. Did you have a favorite experience? You know, it's weird, but I think my favorite experience was the day Kung tried to take a small group of us to a private island to go snorkeling, but we never made it there. Yeah, we were taking the red boat out to the island, but in the middle of the Gulf of Thailand, the boat's engine overheated and just died. We were stranded on the water for hours. But I had a blast with the people out there. Plus, I knew we wouldn't starve. As soon as the engines cut out, the crew passed out empty soda cans with fishing line wrapped around them, we started fishing off the sides of the boat using these MacGyver fishing rods. And after a while, I actually caught a few fish. Everyone did. It was really fun. Chef Nikki was also on board and ended up using the fish we caught to make sashimi served with mango, peppers, and what else? Red boat fish sauce. By the time we got hauled back to the island by a tugboat, the sun was setting. But that's when we saw an amazing double rainbow and the most beautiful crimson red sunset I've ever seen. And we'd all had such a great time. Kyle and Lisa were there, and Andrea and Karen, and Megan, and Brett, and Alex, and others. Kung was there with his wife, Ann, and his son, Kevin. Kevin was actually the guy who caught the most fish. I think the people we met were the best part of the trip. When we got back to Saigon, we got to spend more time with the film crew and the photographer who were on the trip. Gatto and Jaime and Megan were a blast. Would you go back to Vietnam, Michelle? In a heartbeat. And next time, we'll bring the kids. Finally! I'll go only if I can find Pokemon cards there. Crush of the week. Owen, what's your crush of the week? It's my Kindle. I got it for my birthday and it's great. It's loaded with a lot of books, so I can read a bunch of books without having to carry them anywhere. And I also like the size because it's small. It feels like your Kindle was also kind of a gift to me because now I don't have to yell at you to pick up all the books you leave around the house. Yeah, now you only leave orange peels around the house, Owen. Hey, mister. It's not like you don't make huge messes everywhere you go. 
No, they're just little cute messes. There's no such thing as a cute mess. No, no my cat makes cute messes. Your cat is a cute mess. No, she's not. She's cute, but she's not messy. No, too. she's a mess. No! <laughs> Personally, I like that the Kindle's paper white screen uses e-ink, and so it doesn't emit blue light right into your eyes before you go to bed. Do you read your Kindle at night, Owen? Yeah, I turn on my reading light, and I read until I go to sleep. I hate that light. It's too bright. I can't go to sleep. I wear an eye mask so I can block out all the light. Like mother, like son. What's your crush of the week, Henry? It's the new Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens. Of course, nerd. Me and millions of other people. You don't have to be a nerd to love Star Wars. But yeah, I'm a nerd, and I'm proud of it. I love that Ollie is as skeptical of the whole Star Wars universe as I am. We were watching it in the theater. He kept asking, is this Earth? This looks like Earth. Okay, no spoilers, but at one point, a Force-sensitive character tries to retrieve a lightsaber that's stuck in the snow by moving it with their mind, And Ollie, do you remember what you asked me when you saw that? Yeah, I said, why doesn't he walk over and pick it up? That's an excellent question. You guys are hopeless. Ollie, what's your crush of the week? Sweatpants. Really? Sweatpants. (laughs) It's so weird. (laughs) No, I changed my mind. I mean, pie face. Pie face is a game where you use a spinner to see how many times you need to crank the handle. If you crank it that number of times and nothing happens, you get double that number of points. But sometimes, when you crank the handle, a plastic can shoots up and hits you in the face with whipped cream. It's basically Russian roulette for kids. But with a whipped cream catapult instead of a gun. It's safer and tastier that way. But only if you're not allergic to dairy. Yeah, if you're allergic to dairy, please use whipped coconut cream instead. Mom, what's your crush of the week? My crush is our newly updated Nom Nom Paleo app. I can't believe none of you guys picked the app. I kind of figured you would. Well, I love this app. Longtime Nom Nom Paleo followers know that we started working on this app back in 2011. It was basically the first Paleo app made specifically for the iPad with a really cool user interface and design that ultimately won a Webby Award in 2014. It's packed with close to 150 recipes and more than 2,000 step-by-step photos that show off every step of each recipe. It also has a 30-day meal plan, a shopping list, and a bunch of other awesome features and resources. And now it's been completely redesigned to work on both the iPad and the iPhone. Right. We've been working for over a year on the iPhone app to make sure we have a user interface that's just as delightful and fun as the original iPad app. Plus, we can now push new recipes directly to the app without ever charging for in-app purchases. It's really fun to play with. And I don't know about you, but I spend way more time with my iPhone than I do with my iPad. So it's really useful and handy to have the recipes and instructions on a device that goes everywhere with me. I was grocery shopping the other day, and I suddenly remembered that I now have this incredible resource in my pocket. We've also spent a lot of time updating photos and plugging new recipes into the app. So expect to see a lot more of that too. So long story short, if you downloaded our app onto your iPad sometime in the past three years, go ahead and make sure you update to the newest version of the app. You'll see new recipes in the What's New section, and you'll also be able to get new recipes as we push them directly onto your device. And if you already have it on your iPad, you can download it onto your iPhone for free. The app works across devices, so your favorites and your shopping list items will sync from your iPad to iPhone and vice versa. Of course, if you've never downloaded our app, please go check it out. Yes, this sounds like a commercial, but we're really proud of our app and we hope you'll like it too. 
And if you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. It would mean a lot to us. Can we make an app too? You don't have any recipes to put on the nap, Ollie. It's not going to be cooking. It would be a video game. Like a first-person shooter or a MMORPG or a third-person shooter or a role-playing game or a... It would be a game called Fruit Punch where you're this guy who's being attacked by different kinds of fruit and then you need to punch the fruit and then the fruit turns into Fruit Punch and then it punches you back. That's it. Question of the week. This week's question comes from Priscilla S. from Tulsa, Oklahoma. She asks, Hey, Michelle, I've been roped into a 30-day paleo challenge at my CrossFit gym this January, but I've never eaten 100% paleo before. What's the best way to get myself ready and set myself up for success? Well, it's funny you should ask that question, Priscilla, because I just posted on my blog about this. The best advice is to stock up on the good stuff so you'll be sure to have a successful month. And you really should commit to eating paleo for 21 days or a whole month. First off, I think you should read my What is Paleo post to understand how I define paleo for me. Once you're on board, read my new blog post on how to stock a paleo pantry. The article is really comprehensive, but in a nutshell, you need to fill your fridge and pantry with the good stuff that's going to fill your family's belly. Any key takeaways, Michelle? Basically, you need to stock up on healthy protein, a rainbow assortment of fruits and vegetables, flavor boosters that transform those raw ingredients into platters of deliciousness, healthy drinks besides water, and some snacks for travel. I know folks are busy and cooking can be a real time suck, so I also keep emergency protein in the house like hard-boiled eggs and organic deli meat, so I always have something that I can grab and go. I also point out that there's no shame in buying a rotisserie chicken once in a while or buying prep vegetables at the store. I'll link to the post in the podcast show notes so you can read all the nitty-gritty details and print out a downloadable shopping list for Whole Foods Market. Can we go now? I'm getting bored. And this is a really long episode. Plus, it's my birthday today. Right. We're recording this podcast on Ollie's eighth birthday. Thanks for agreeing to be on the podcast on your birthday, big guy. Happy birthday, Ollie. It would be an even better birthday today if I could just do whatever I wanted to do. Like go to Target and buy Pokemon cards. I see that you even created a list of things you want to do today. Plus, you wrote down your birthday wish. You want to read it for us? Yeah, my birthday wishes. I will not get yelled at even if I get in trouble. Oh, that's bad. Now that you said it out loud, it's not going to come true. Yeah, Dad already yelled at me this morning because I had to clean up. So that's it for this week. This podcast was recorded and produced at Nom Nom Paleo World Headquarters also known as the dining room in our house, located in the heart of Silicon Valley, 50 feet from Jeremy Lin's parents' house. The Nom Nom Paleo theme song is by Mark Bartels, with additional music by Big O and Politaire. This podcast is supported by Thrive Market, our favorite online destination for wholesome products at wholesale prices. Pay one low membership price and you can shop from over 3,000 healthy, natural products, always 25 to 50% off retail, delivered straight to your door. Right now, if you go to nomnompaleo.com slash thrive, you'll get two months free membership at Thrive Market and an additional 20% off your first order. And in case you're wondering, unless stated otherwise, none of the brands or products mentioned sponsor this podcast. We just talk about the stuff we love. If you like this podcast, we have two favors to ask. First, you can visit us at nomnompaleo.com for show notes, and you can also find hundreds of step-by-step recipes, kitchen tips, snarky writing and more we also have an ipad app and a cookbook more information at nomnompaleo.com 
And last but not least, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get a sense as to what you like. Join us next time for more Nom Nom Paleo podcasts.